Hello and welcome to another episode of Blowing Cartridges, the gaming podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tan, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Zach Clark. So Zach, in Victoria at the moment this year, in 2022, it's been a, well, it's very much a year of politics and year of elections. We just had our, the federal election in Australia and there's a state election in November. Of course, Blowing Cartridges is a apolitical video game podcast, so we will not talk about any particular things about Australian or Victorian politics, but there is one question, one, one burning question I have to ask you, Zach, about the recent federal election, and it is, did you manage to get a democracy sausage? Uh, yes. Yes, I got a democracy sausage. I had a bit of cake as well from the local local school. So all in all, a successful voting experience. I am very glad to hear because I had to go to about six different polling booths to get a democracy sausage. So it seems like democracy is more alive in metropolitan Melbourne than in country Victoria, which is probably sad, but the the sausage lives on. That all, That's all that matters in this conversation. Us metropolitan Melbourners are supporting, you know, our, our regional colleagues with their cattle farms uh, producing the beef for our sausages, I assume, or importing it. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, these are many different questions and um, well, many different, it, it goes to the minutiae of politics, trade policy, agriculture policy, and it, it makes me think about how are the, all these different elements in, I guess, politics in general, in terms of political systems, transferred into games? Because I, I guess this episode, we're not talking about games having political messages and the like, because I think that's a completely different conversation and completely different topic. And, uh, well, I'm not as, I guess, oh, we're not trying to wave it away like Ubisoft does. We're saying that, oh, our games aren't political, but they make people think. I think... There's definitely games that there's games that um are political in their messaging and um, in a positive way and uh, can say interesting things about modern society and the like and I think that's something we do acknowledge but as I said we might discuss during an episode in the future but what I find fascinating I guess probably because it's a particular type of games I play is in how things like economic systems how political parties how politicians in a I guess are characterizing video games are, are turned into gameplay elements and it often happens in strategy games like your um your 4x games like your crusader kings like your stellarises and then there's dedicated political simulators like your democracies one two and three and there might be a democracy four now actually that's a interesting series of games but I guess it just it all comes down to I how society is mirrored in gaming, which I think is something worth talking about. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because, I mean, sort of as you were saying, there's a lot of political things that can be discussed and, you know, there's probably also a debate as to things that are viewed as political as to whether they're political or just human issues that are probably what we usually see in the media these days around politics and games. But here I think we're really talking about the brass tacks of a political system, the real the real nuts and bolts here. And why I think that's still fascinating is because it delves into how do you implement and perceive and present different political systems in a video game without potentially misrepresenting them or, you know, uh, or, or conversely putting too much of a, a spin, right? Like, you know... There's all these connotations around different political systems, you know, whether you're socialist, communist, capitalist, a monarchy, um, a dictatorship, and some of them are very just and very genuine. Uh, Others perhaps are taking a more skewed view on on a particular system, uh, either due to, you know, the agenda that other people are trying to push in your society or the fact that those systems have been poorly implemented and thus they seem bad, not necessarily because the ideas are bad, but because they've just, again, been poorly executed or taken and twisted and corrupted in a way that, I guess, misinterprets or changes the initial, you know, maybe more pure idea 
um, that was was intended to be positive by the person that created it. So I think you know it, it's really worth exploring because particularly in as you said these forex games uh, and particularly if we look at like historical ones like a civilization there is a lot of effort put into recreating and representing these various systems uh, in such a way that allows them to also then experiment with them right like you know there's civilizations i think a really fascinating series in that it allows you to see like really really fun hypothetical discussions around you know what if you know Gandhi was a dictator, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Uh, that that is, that is never, did not happen, but it gives you these, uh, you know, I'm, so I'm sure it's not a perfectly scientific simulator, but it is a fun what-if, like, game that you can play through and, and explore. And I think it is, yeah, as you said, it's worth exploring what these, how these playing games, because I think it's also a very interesting way for people to learn about the fact that there are different systems in the world and maybe encourages people to learn more about their local system which i I think is hopefully a universally agreed good thing to do right to understand your own political system that you are governed by you 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 probably it's good you know like yes some people say i'm not into politics fair enough it's a stressful thing to be involved in but certainly learning about it so you know how you can make a positive change for you and your your society is is a worthwhile endeavor. So I think that's hopefully something that will, you know, people may take out of this episode and again, take out of the games they're playing if they're not already. Precisely. And even, even if I guess from the outset, particularly in that strategy genre, we just invoked often these um, ideas are quite trivialized in that you'll be able to choose different policies that like on the surface level in some games, there'll be an option of, well, one that jumps to mind is Rise of Nations, a real-time strategy game where, well, you basically build a building that looks like the White House. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called the Capitol. And in the Capitol, during particular ages that you progress through, you can choose what system of government you have. And it goes from, well, democracy to republic or like monarchy or autocracy or capitalism versus communism. And really the choices between those those options just come down to different gameplay um, perks of, oh, your barracks will produce units quicker when you're, well, you have the, a communist system of government for some reason. Who who knows why? But um, that's just one of the gameplay things. So there's that element of the spectrum where it's, it's very much trivialized. And I guess you might sit there and take note and think, oh, that, that's actually quite amusing. It, it's almost a caricature. Or there's, then there's games that are in gen- different genres um, that you wouldn't particularly think would be able to have that, I guess, educational aspect of teaching you about historical systems of government or historical politics in action. And one that I think of is Papers, Please, which mm. mechanically speaking is a puzzle game. Like, that that's what it is. It's about, it, it's about solving a series of puzzles. But the overlay of um, Papers, Please is, well, it's an Eastern Bloc dystopian country and you're an immigration officer at the border and you're deciding, well, you're reviewing people that are trying to cross the border and either approving or rejecting their um, their documents. And it harkens back to people trying to flee the Eastern Bloc during the Cold War. And it, well, it specifically addresses that in a, in a way that, well, it's merging gameplay and story in a way that does that, which from the outset, you might not think is actually possible in a game. So I think it's an aspect that can be done very effectively and in an interesting way. But I would also go back and say I wouldn't necessarily write out the ways it's done in games like Rise of Nations and Civilization where it's a veneer. It's it's done for, I guess, add character and colour to the game. But I think it does make people aware of different historical ideas and aware of different aspects that they might not necessarily think about and maybe you can argue that games trivialize it but i think increasing awareness even through trivialization is still a net positive yeah i i tend to agree and look i'm going to be asking you a lot of questions because um you both know a lot more about both historical and uh, modern day politics than I do, and you just play more games where that's a overt feature. 
And I think Papers, Please is a really interesting example compared to these strategy games that you were bringing up at the start in that, as you said, it sort of takes a very like small component of society, but demonstrates a lot in terms of, you know, I guess trying to make the point of the flaws to a particular historical political regime. But I think it does so quite effectively. I've been played it myself and it's, you know, I certainly recommend other people give it a shot. It's the kind of game where like, I don't know if you necessarily have fun while playing it. Like I'm sure some people do, but I was certainly fascinated the entire time and the decision-making, even knowing that it's all fake uh, and I'm not really impacting the lives of, you know, these specific individuals trying to cross the borders is incredibly powerful and yeah, as a, as a really, I just oh, like. I think that those types of games are probably rare. I don't think too many. You know, maybe it's just my breadth of knowledge isn't good enough, but I can't think of many other good examples of these sort of smaller, bite-sized experiences that try and really encapsulate the essence, I guess, of a of an entire system into one fairly simple experience for the for the most part. And the way it become, I guess in its gameplay that it has that arbitrary element of where you can decide or whether to um well accept or reject and the, all the different like I guess as puzzle games goes on they become more difficult and more complex and that's also reflected in papers please how it becomes there's more conditions and elements that get put on top of each other it, it's reflective of I guess an increased bureaucracy and an increased just making things a lot more difficult than that they should be that um is sort of analogous to actual um, particular political systems, which it's it sort of, it, it stays in that spirit of what the um, developer was going for, which is very fascinating and very well executed. Yeah, and I guess that sort of leads me to the my question for you is, I guess, you know, are there any particular games that you think do a really, other than obviously we just discussed Papers, Please, um, and it may, maybe even more in this, this like in that strategy genre with the more complex uh, political systems. But do you think there are any particular games that do a exceptional job at like just telling it like it is for all the various systems? Like again, it's probably very hard because I think we have to admit our own biases where we've where you know we've grown up in a, a first world Western democracy, I suppose, and so there's the media uh, has sort of fed us certain lines of dialogue and and thoughts and and the like that people who live in say you know like vietnam probably don't get um or get it in a different way so i guess is there any that you look at and you say these actually are really good at presenting as uh, let's say unbiased as you can be um nothing's truly for your bias of course representations of either a single system or potentially even multiple systems in action Nothing I can really think off the top of my head, unfortunately, because I, I guess most, a lot of games that use political systems and use like, I guess, to expand on what we mean about using political systems, which we probably should have done from the outset, I guess what I'm really driving at is, is a lot of strategy games, particularly where you're given the option, I guess, to direct government policy because there's ones that will put you effectively put you in charge of a government or an entity of some sort whether it's a city in sim city or whether it's a i guess a tropical island dictatorship like in tropico and um it comes down to well the game gives you choices on well do you increase taxation on particular groups of people or particular businesses do you ban certain activities and then I guess the game will then simulate, well, what are the what are the flow-on effects of making those decisions? And there's there's been many games that try to depict that in a I guess in an accurate way. And one's called Democracy Three, and a lot of my friends were quite involved in it during um, university. I majored in political science, and what Democracy Three is, it effectively it puts you in charge of a of a country, you can choose what country it is. Australia is an option and Australia, US, UK and some other countries are options and sort of it tailors um, different parameters depending on which country you choose. And in the game, it effectively, it's effectively a game of sliders where you're given a particular amount of um, political capital and you can decide different policies for your country and that will impact 
which groups within that society either support you or start to oppose you. And that very much, I guess, narrow casts things in, oh, putting a tax on diesel petrol cars will make the environmentalists like you, but make the capitalists not like you. And it's about balancing that. It's effectively, it's a game of sliders and the game of charts, which really, I guess I don't particularly, I find it interesting from a conceptual point of view, but from an actual gameplay enjoyability, actually enjoying it point of view, I don't find it particularly enjoyable as a game, unfortunately. So I guess that's an example of a game that tries to directly take what politics is and create an actual simulation. It calls itself a government simulator. But then there's other games like what I just mentioned in SimCity. I don't know whether you've played SimCity or not, Zach. I have, yeah. I mean, more so as a kid. I can't. I assume it was SimCity 2000 because um, I think that's the classic. I mean, yeah, I think I probably didn't appreciate the political aspect at the time, but I certainly think it did help me. You know, I think it, it even as a kid, it highlights some of the basics of running a city, right? And then it makes you think a little bit around, like, I mean, you know, there's this very broad concept, tax bad, right? Like, everyone talks about it. You know, no one likes paying tax, but then you play something like SimCity and you start to realize, oh, crap, I need money to to do the things that my people want, even if they think tax is bad. Um, they want, you know, the, the lights to turn on and water to flow and a sufficient emergency fund for me to fight Godzilla when I when he comes. Um <laughs> And I think that simplistic view is really helpful of even just that underlying here's why some of these things happen that you may initially think are bad. Again, outside looking in, me give person money that I earn that perhaps have a good side to them because nothing's as black and white as it initially seems uh, in a lot of these political elements. Oh, and that's what I was driving at because I think something like SimCity does it, has more of an impact and does it more effectively than something like a quote-unquote government simulator where that where it tries to make you decide on oh should I make school lunches free for for children and how that will impact these graphs and who will support me and who won't support me it it just it feels hollow to me that yes you can decide on all these policies and you can try to say that oh I'm going to have a government that does these particular policies and attracts particular groups and well Maybe I just play that game wrong, but I just always end up getting assassinated by a particular... Or because how Democracy 3 works is if you annoy a particular group enough that basically they will assassinate you, and that just always happens to me. So I think I just don't play that game well, and I don't understand how the game works. So maybe that goes down to why I don't like pure government simulators like Democracy. But why I like SimCity is I think, as you say, it it simplifies it in a way, but also makes you really think about well yes i can't run a city on no taxation because then i won't be able to build anything i won't be able to play the game and it won't be fun but similarly well but in the similar light i can't run a city with taxing everyone to a massive degree because then no one's going to actually come to the city and i won't have an income and similar and in a similar vein i will run out of money and go bankrupt and won't be able to play the game it's about balancing Things like taxation, like funding parks and police and the fire service and hospitals and making sure you have coverage in your city. Yes, it's more of a it's more of a city planning and city managing game. I think it does it strikes a balance between gamifying things like taxation and things like setting levels of funding and having advisors that will advise you on particular elements of your city that I think to do it effectively, you need to strike a balance. You, we are talking about video games, and yes, video games can be educational, they can be informative, but I think what we all want is even those games that are targeted at being educational, they still have to have a element of fun, and I think they, they are much more effective when it's much more subverting trying to have a message and trying to teach you about particular things and how how things like taxation work, how the different dynamics that exist at play, even if it is a very simplified and a simplified way, because I don't think it's necessarily trivialized when you simplify something. No, no, I agree. I think, you know, it, if anything, simplifying it is probably useful. 
particularly in this day and age, because I think there's a, I mean, tell me if you disagree, but I think there's probably a fair bit of bloat that has happened to a lot of things in our political systems as as the years have gone on and we've, you know, amended them, made new laws, you know, tried to plug up lots of loopholes and the, and the like, that probably some of the, the original concepts and elements behind all these things that, you know, were thought up hundreds of years ago, uh, or if not hundreds, even just a few decades ago, potentially get lost behind the extra minutiae that, that has come into play. And I think yeah, sometimes just stripping it back to, to bare bones basics uh, in a video game that allows you to do that uh, and plugs up some of the loopholes through other means, like just, just how the game functions, right? Like it, you don't need these incredibly complex um, tomes of, uh, of words that dictate how things work and then, you know, are subject to the interpretation of a select section of people who have to say, well, I think this phrase actually means this way. Like, you know, um, we only have to look to America and some of the debates over their, um, their Bill of Rights and whether they're intended the way they are and what people say on those. Uh, but we won't again get too heavily into that to see, though, just how games, I guess, have the unique opportunity to really set hard concrete ways of of these functioning through just the back-end code that dictates the way the the, again the world runs in in these virtual spaces and it's the interactivity that really i think captivates me person personally in that it's a video game so you can play around you can experiment with different systems you can see what happens in SimCity if you go to 100 percent taxation or zero percent taxation it's and yes, the game is programmed to do defined things when you do that. Like, as I said previously, you won't be able, to, you won't be playing that that city for long if you do if you go around doing that because you won't have any money left, or you won't have any people in your city, which also equals you won't have any money left. So, game over. You're not having a fun time. Being able to experiment, being able to see what happens, like that. That is the hallmark of gaming, and that's I think there's opportunities in making it a bit deeper in some of these games, making it more than a gaming. It's always going to be a gaming element, but there's a way to do it that it's a gaming element, but there's some depth to it. it it's what Crusader Kings does well in the, I guess, the history element of Crusader Kings, because from a political point of view, it does simulate, I guess, courtly politics of the of the Middle Ages. From it can start from about one thousand AD to about fourteen fifty or so. So not really um, directly relevant to modern day Australian or even modern day politics in across the Western world and outside of the Western world. It's you're not really going to get much of a commentary there, but it does it does give you a little bit of an insight in how the past operated, which really, I guess, I I could go on for hours about the, the historical studies um, element of video games, and there's a whole, well, there's actually a whole academic field about how games deal with history and how they can be an educational tool, which may be a topic for another um, episode if I can convince Zach <laughs> for me to bore him for, like, an hour or so, but... That's how I see that these games can deliver from, I guess, that direct perspective point of view in this is how medieval court operated. This is how marriage alliances worked, even though it does simplify it in a way. It it makes you aware that these things existed and they did um, have particular impacts in, oh, if in Crusader Kings 2, I get my heir to marry the princess of this other country and then through turn of events or... Maybe I will send some assassins to assassinate a few people. Now she's the heir to this other territory, and now the children from that union will become will inherit that territory. And now, oh, the kingdom I started with is now doubled in size. Yes, I've just sort of orchestrated something from a purely gameplay perspective, but there is that why the gameplay has become more satisfying is because it's not just numbers, it's not just um, ticking boxes. There's um. There's an overlay of history. There's an overlay of politics on top of it that makes it compelling. Yeah, I I agree. And one thing I think that makes it even more interesting is is obviously player interaction, right? And you know what we've been talking a lot about largely 
not all, but a lot of single player experiences, right? And again, there are some here that you've touched on that, that aren't single player. Keen to, I guess, see your view on how multiplayer with the added overlay of, you know, certain political systems, whether it's something like Stellaris, uh, or even unfortunately opening up that, you know, dark uh, box in your, your mind about your World of Warcraft days <laughs> and seeing how you, how you see, I guess, politics play uh, in both, I guess, these more short-term, um, you know, single-session or multi-session, but, like, you know, it starts and ends, things like like a like a RTS or a strategy game in general versus, like, again, a, a, an ongoing ecosystem like an MMO where it also probably has its own, not only, again, codified political elements and economies, uh, but it's potentially player-driven ones. Well, there's an old, uh, there's a cliched saying that all politics is social. There's also one that says all politics is local. But I guess talking about all politics is social, I get, well, politics is a very social phenomenon. Like if you go back to the forums of ancient Greece or or the Senate of Rome, there is that social element at its heart. So you can argue that any multiplayer game, any massively multiplayer game with an ecosystem that has human being players interacting has created politics in a way it's it's not going to be comparative to let's say parliament in canberra or melbourne and it's not going to be comparative to well is this a communist or a democratic system going on here but it does teach you in a way teach you interesting things about human activity and building i guess societies and culture in a in a way, if you if you step back and want to analyse, or I don't know, a guild in World of Warcraft, or get really academic and think about how those things operate, if we're talking about games like Stellaris at a multiplayer as well as single player, I think going back to what I said at the very start, often the decisions you make in those games as a player that you could call like through diplomacy or through creating trade links or the like, yes, they are they're purely in a way they are very gamified like they are game mechanics but you can't escape the fact that the idea of going into an alliance with someone or investigating taxation systems or particularly in Stellaris is that idea of diplomacy it's the idea of creating a balance of power between empires in a way that is at a very high level about governance and about politics if if I, I hope I'm actually making sense at all. <laughs> I, yes, yes, yes. I think so. Yes. I yeah. I I am mostly following. I think. <laughs> I think that speaks more about me though than um than yourself. Oh, as long as if if you can follow, then I think the audience can follow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it says well. I don't know what I don't know what you're saying there, Brendan, about about my um intelligence, but I'll I'll assume it's positive. Always, always. I, I guess probably another thing I'd be keen to guess to get your view on is, you know, what would you like to see in terms of, um, you know, we're at this this precipice where it feels like almost anything's possible when it comes to video games. Um, we, it's compared to what we're used to. What do you want to see more of? You know, in terms of these systems being implemented uh, in games uh, that you think is obviously feasible. Uh, yeah, is there anything you're looking to, you know, that if, if you saw this on a, on a in a long demo session at next year's PC gaming show and it had this particular element, you'd go, that is fantastic and completely captures your interest? Well, I think I'd like a, it's probably not realistic, but a hybrid between different genres. Like, take the game I keep on bashing in this podcast, Democracy 3, a government simulator, and gamifying it a little bit, making it more than just, I guess, sliders and graphs and, oh, if I balance these things, I'll um, achieve the optimal path of victory and make it a bit more random, a bit more, um, I guess, organic in that something like Stellaris is organic in that how the systems have come together in the game, that there are different dynamics going on. The The AI might be doing something if you're playing against other real-life players, they're also doing something else, and you have to exist in that space and make decisions based on, well, my goal in this game is to defeat everyone else, or my goal in this game is to create this 
empire spanning all these um, different planets and this is my strategy for the game. This is how I'm going to do it. It'll be a mix between diplomacy and deciding to make these decisions from a gameplay perspective of, or if it's a, if it's something like a rise of nations and I can choose, oh, I'm going to be a democracy because democracies give me these benefits. And that's sort of, that's kind of reflective on what a democracy does in real life compared to other systems. And it, it, it opens up, it, I guess it's getting that balance between gamifying these elements and making them accurate if you know what i mean I, like we don't want boring government simulators we don't want boring oh this is basically like reading a undergraduate university political textbook about how american um washington dc politics operates like no one really wants that it's about i think we all want that level of of game of uh, of I should stop saying gamifying, but we all want that element of gamifying. We all want that element of interactivity. We want fun in gaming, but we, I think there's a way to strike the balance well between something being enjoyable and fun in its own right and something, in a way, mirroring real life in a way that becomes educational in that it makes us stop and think through a gameplay perspective more so than well, we said we weren't going to discuss that. This isn't the topic for that episode, this episode, but more so than, well, this game through its narrative design and its structure is making this message about current society as a whole. Like, I think there's a there's a difference there. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, it, and it kind of comes down to, it's not just about like, I mean, we talk about this in other contexts as well, but it's the difference between using your cutscenes and your story to, make your point versus actually making your point in the in the gameplay which i think is what makes this fairly unique as a concept and i think why again not to go sing its praises too much by paper please is such a a good example of that because you know you've got all the strategy games are a very obvious and literal way of doing it um whereas paper please i think is a much more again you know uh localized uh way of of conveying uh, an issue uh, that directly feeds into the gameplay in an engaging way. Have you played the game Reigns? Yeah, I have. Like the Tinder for governing a country, basically. <laughs> yes, because that's another one that I actually think does it really well in that you're a monarch and you have different choices to make. And yes, it's not... If you started listening to this episode at the very start, you might have been thinking about, oh, what's Brendan doing? He wants to talk about how democracy and communism and socialism is depicted in games but i think what rain does well is that better than the tired old government simulator is that it actually is showing what it's depicting what choices you have that someone in power has to make and that yes they can be so like i guess it does trivialize it in that it's always arbitrary swipe left or swipe right and terrible things can happen and it sort of and it has a snowballing effect. But I think that snowballing effect is actually really interesting in that it shows how a series of decisions made at a like just on a whim can create a particular outcome, even if it's a very fictionalized and often funny outcome. Funny in that it ends with your death. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, from memory, there's a, uh, you know, another thing that got people sort of into politics uh more in the sense you're talking about today not in a game was game of thrones and i think there's a game of thrones reign so if you, if you really want to want to take i guess the you know dip your toe into this political world of gaming uh, and you're a game of thrones fan at least maybe up until the last season uh not a bad way to to, <laughs> to, to, to dip in and uh yeah very very simple very accessible i think on phones switch and probably other stuff pc etc at this point in time yeah, it's on Apple Arcade, it's on Switch, and uh, ultimately, who needs Machiavelli when you have uh, George R.R. R. Martin and Game of Thrones? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's that's the real politics, you know. Are we going to go for, for Dragon Queen or um, Zombie Boy? Spoilers, I don't really care at this point. <laughs> so one thing I also have thought about, and I don't know if such a thing exists, but I always think about that, that really famous example of... Uh, well, a few examples actually from World of Warcraft, but there's the blood disease example. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but where like I think there was some glitch where like players got corrupted via some sort of blood item, and then 
it just sort of spread throughout the game and it made sort of the game unplayable for people and until until Blizzard eventually patched it. And uh, epidemiologists looked at it as a sort of way of observing human behavior for a hypothetical yes. pandemic, uh, funnily enough. And then and there's also been a bunch of, you know, economists as well that have observed not just World of Warcraft, but way economies move in MMOs as a way of sort of saying, oh, what would happen if we did this this particularly absurd thing that we think may cause potential damage to the economy but let's just see for sure that's what would happen um in a virtual space uh, my question i guess what i'm leading to is do you think there is a a spot for an actual like proper government simulator maybe better than democracy that you, that you keep talking about that could actually be used by by leaders around the world to stress test you know hypotheticals in a space that's safe because i mean there's so many decisions we we think are going to be good for society but the risk of them being bad is i think often what prevents them from occurring and i just wonder if being able to do them virtually in a game and test it that way is is potentially of value or potentially it's the other way around and a game probably can never really replicate real world society well enough that um we could that would you know to base it on that data would would be ridiculous so i don't know if you have any thoughts on on that i suppose it's actually it's an interesting proposition you suggest uh zach because you'd be familiar with the idea of modeling so what i guess what you're effectively um, proposing is that we somehow gamify modeling in that we try to figure out well if we enact a particular policy that makes that i don't know everyone has to drive with the right hand only or we're gonna we're driving on the right instead of the left now and um we want to know what impact that will happen on fuel costs or something well economists and the like will have a way to map that even though that's an absolute ludicrous situation that actually doesn't really make any sense now i think about it again but they have a way to model that and have assumptions and figure out well if x happens well we can assume that why will have an impact on that to a particular degree and well if it has a 20 percent impact instead of a 10 percent impact this is the outcome so can we gamify that degree of modeling i think the probably the issue there well you could probably implement that into a government simulator in a way but the question would be well would it be any fun and also I guess the underlying issue is that if you're trying to use games to solve real-world problems, well, it comes down to the fact that, well, someone is programming all this stuff to begin with in the first place. So I guess what are their innate biases and what are their innate objectives in doing so, which it's a very interesting proposition. And I think ultimately, well, your example you gave about, I think it was called the Corrupted Blood incident thing in wow where epidemiologists could study it and behavioral economists can study similar things and how digital stock markets and gaming markets operate and find out about human behavior works because well corrupted blood was a glitch but those things aren't inherently programmed so you're able to accurately gather data on human behavior and see well in particular situations, how do people operate? And in the World of Warcraft one, epidemiologists notice that, well, there were examples of players like purposely spreading this curse that basically killed you because for brief background for people that don't understand anything about World of Warcraft and have never heard about it, what the incident was, was there was a particular boss encounter in a raid and this boss, I believe it was Harker the Soul Flayer, he would put a curse on you that would start to drain your health and basically kill you long-term if it wasn't removed. And what the glitch was that if if you were a hunter and you had a companion animal and that companion animal got the curse and then you de-summoned it during the encounter, if you summoned it back outside of that raid, it still had the curse and it could spread it amongst other people. And then once you had it, you could spread it like in the boss encounter and that's how it infected entire servers of the game and um, became a big issue until the developers actually um, removed it as a possibility 
from the code itself. So I don't know if I've answered your question at all, Zach, and I don't know if I've um, complicated this more than I generally complicate things, which, as you, you know me well, I like to complicate things. So it's okay. how many times can I say complicated? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a uh, political podcast episode without some waffle and uh, a bit of uh, not answering questions. Oh, exactly. It's, it's all about confusing people to a degree, so you will just say yes to everything I propose. So, Yep, just confuse me enough so I don't know what I'm agreeing to. That's that's the plan. I now have 100% ownership of blowing cartridges. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> what? Anyway, let's move on. We'll deal with this laughter. I guess probably the only other thing that I'd be curious to, to hear, if you find out that somebody who is... You know, there's, there's two people going up for a, a political position that you get to vote for, whatever it is, your local member or, or prime minister or, or something else, council person. Um, and you are aware of one of them having played a lot of games that you have sort of listed tonight. Does that sway your vote? Do you think that's a good thing? Or do you think <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a plus for you in, in the long term? Well, it, it would show that they have good taste. So <laughs> I think that's always... Um, if I'm purely deciding which person is more um, likeable and more popular, definitely. But I think we're discussing the idea of gamifying politics. And I think there needs to be a level of caution in that you don't want to trivialise these things. You, like, you don't want to simplify it too much because then you you create an impression that things are a lot easier than they actually are or things are oh, this should be really easy and it's been complicated because all these people like are idiots or they're corrupt or they can't agree on something or or all manner of different reasons where it's always a lot more complicated than it actually is. So I think it, it goes back to the dead horse I like to flog in that I think games have an incredible power to teach people about a whole manner of different things and that includes history, that it can include politics that can include how societies and governments and cultures function i think there's a there's a huge scope and there's a huge ability to be able to do that but it's about managing expectations as well and it's about doing it in a way that doesn't exacerbate the issue in um or warping people's perspectives on all these different elements all these different things that we're discussing it yeah i think that is the that's the element there but to go back to your question Definitely, I will only vote for someone who enjoys Kid Icarus Uprising on the 3DS. That, that is the bar. That's the bar they have to meet. Alrighty, so you've heard it here first. Drew Agnew for Prime Minister 2028. Except I don't know if that's legal. Is there an age limit? Do I have to be a certain age to be Prime Minister in Australia? I should know this, shouldn't I? No, 18. Okay, well, there you go. Drew Agnew... Vote for Prime Minister for his love of Kid Icarus Uprising. You've got Brendan's official endorsement here. Not a shocker that he would endorse a, uh, a regional candidate of some kind. Maybe a bit left field that it was South Australian, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, I suppose. Oh, exactly. Politics make strange bedfellows. 100%. Well, Brendan, this episode has my vote. But if the audience wants to cast their vote for this episode, what do you reckon? How do they do it? What, what do they need to do? Well, I guess before we do that, I have a question for you, Zach. Yeah. If you had to have a think, how could how could games make politics interesting for you? Like, what do you want to see as someone who's not an absolute political nerd as I? Like, <laughs> in, in terms of like, just, I guess, as we've been discussing this episode, from a systems point of view, from a... Because I guess we've been talking about how political systems and political policies or not political policies, government policies are gamified or put into games or adapted for games. What's your thoughts on it from a, that sort of higher level? I think there's a few ways. Obviously, the one thing is keep it simple. I think, obviously, a lot of the more strategy games and the like, for me, it's it's just like kind of like too much to absorb for someone who's not keen to absorb it versus, as I said, paper, please, pretty simple pretty easy to grasp and, and even rain's even simpler than papers please i would say hide it the sense it's kind of sounds dumb but like i think to the extent that i'm playing a game and don't realize it's political and until i'm sort of experiencing it particularly through gameplay again i don't i don't want like a cutscene out of nowhere that comes out and says you know vote for this party kind of thing um 
effectively because that's that's not what i want to see but where i'm like playing the game and then through the gameplay maybe combined with the narrative i realize oh here's the the political aspect and the takeaway and the message that the developers clearly intended um i haven't played it but i hear spec ops the line is potentially an example of a game that kind of subverts expectations there so that's one thing that i'd like to see and I think in combination, those those two would be fantastic. Again, it's like, you know, if I'm playing a very colorful 3D platformer and all of a sudden um, there's an aspect of it that leans into, hey, this is why, like, this particular concept is a good thing um, or a bad thing or just here's a neutral way of experiencing it and forming your own view on whether it's a good or bad thing. I think that's probably it. It's kind of like you know cutting up what is a, a incredibly large and complex system into bite-sized chunks uh and spreading them throughout either different games or sections of a of a game in a way that's a bit more digestible for someone like me who isn't seeking that level of information on my own own accord yeah yeah if, if you see a government simulator you're not going to go be like oh i want to play it but if you're playing a game like sim city and which is a city builder, city management, and you come out with the takeaway of, oh, taxation is complicated. Not necessarily taxation is bad or taxation is good, but, oh, it's actually, it's something you have to balance. It's something you have to manage. It's, um, it, that is effective, don't you think? Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's like tricking me into learning. And I think that's, I think that's obviously where gamification in general is, is good, you know? Like, I mean, there you know, I work in, or I, I do a lot of, you know, I'm in finance, so obviously economy, that kind of stuff, something I, I think about a lot. And, I, you know, my introduction to that is games, right? Like, it was, I, I, like, I know about inflation because I'm so used to seeing uh, inflation happen in MMOs that I played, where, like, um, <laughs> the cost of um, particular items just goes up and up, particularly when they were scarce. And um, the gold of, of 2007 was um is is worth much uh more than the gold of you know 2010 or something like that and so i think i think as again to the extent that i don't realize i'm learning stuff uh it, it's a good thing as long as eventually i then come to to walk away and go oh crap actually yes i get this now which i think you know i, I think happens naturally because one day you'll just be you know having a conversation with someone and they'll bring up this thing and you like talk about it then you're like wait what just came out of my mouth? How did I? How did I know that? And then you remember, <laughs> oh, that's right. It's because I, I played um, too much, too much of this <laughs> back in five or six years ago, and it actually dealt with that concept that I didn't realize was a thing. Yeah, and now I can claim to be an expert. Yes, a hundred percent. It certainly works well in high school when you only need the basicest of understandings anyway, and so usually you get enough just through your games to 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 whip out some report and people are like man you you knew this pretty well already despite only you know having read a few paragraphs in a in a textbook on the on the idea oh it's like in uh i remember early high school i um for a history assignment i was able to pull out like stuff i knew from age of empires 2 for um this assignment yeah i think i had to give an oral presentation about the the Battle of Stamford Bridge or about 1066, and I just basically parroted the scenario from Age of Empires 2, and it was great. You know, see, again, don't, you know, let your kids play video games, parents. They will actually walk away with something, hopefully. Either that or they'll just walk away with a massive credit card bill from too many microtransaction purchases, and that's on you for giving the kid the credit card, honestly. Zach, uh, Zach, I swear, all those Fortnite skins are purely educational. <laughs> yeah, you know, political. I mean, oh, I'm only partly joking about this, but I'm. Is there is there like real world political figures in Fortnite yet? It's only if not, it's a matter of time, I reckon. Right, like somebody's gonna pay epic enough money to like campaign in Fortnite, despite the fact that the the, the main demo. Oh, I guess no. There's probably yeah, enough adults in Fortnite uh, playing Fortnite to to justify the spend. But yeah, that's not. I don't think that's a thing yet, right? Unless if it is, I, I've. I remember all I remember was was Joe Biden having an Animal Crossing island, which um, Animal Crossing is a very equitable political system. Anyone can can join, no matter what creed, religion, race, etc. As long as you um, give money to to Nintendo <laughs> and Tom Nook bikes. Yes, yes, exactly. and, and virtual money to Tom Nook. It's the most 
demonized and misunderstood political system, the one of the Animal Crossing world where you get interest-free loans, uh, yet somehow everyone still hates hates uh, the lender. <laughs> and bank interest rates are really bad. Mm-hmm. Yep. Although that kind of is realistic. So yeah, well, for now. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how well that, that comment ages <laughs> in a year or two. But probably still well enough. Alrighty. Do you reckon it's time for people to cast their ballots, which I alluded to before, in an attempt to transition, except uh, you you have put me on another tangent. <laughs> <laughs> we like tangents. Tangents are good on blowing cartridges, but if you want to support more tangents, if you want to make sure that blowing cartridges is the number one gaming podcast that discusses weird topics like democracy in video games and or politi- political systems in video games, which is a hair-brain topic that uh, Brendan Tan came up with. Don't even ask me how I came up with this topic, but it was something I came up with and forced Zach to discuss and turn into an episode. Uh, go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave reviews, leave five-star reviews, because that boosts our rating, that boosts our favourability amongst the podcast listening public, and it really does help us grow our podcast. Uh, you can contact us via Twitter at Pod. And Facebook as well, when that is fixed, as uh, Zach alluded to in the previous episode. You can contact me at Tamazoid on Twitter. Contact Zach at Eggerino on Twitter. You can cast your ballot as to which co-host you prefer, which one is the better one, which one gives you the most laughs, which one makes the most insightful comments. And you can let us know that by emailing blowingcartridge at gmail.com with the subject line, Brendan Tam is number one. Yep, completely unbiased and definitely not a, you know, trying to, to sway your people into voting for you um, through deception. But that's fine, we'll, we'll take this off here. <laughs> deception is a video game where you lay traps and try to kill people. And with that, thank you for tuning in, as per always, and we'll see you next time for another episode of blowing cartridges unless you vote us off the air which i don't think don't you can do, do that. but yeah if you can do it don't do it now podcasting is a free space so the airwaves are not controlled by any entity so we are safe sovereign nation <laughs>